0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I'm your host, John Robb, and I'm joined here by my colorful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing?
1: Doing good. Hope things are going well on your side of
0: the Everything country. is going great. Christmas is coming upon us, and we are very excited that we are going to be speaking here in shortly with uh, none other than best-selling Arthur Lisa Gardner. Yes, it is December. She is back. Her book comes out on January the 19th called Before She Disappeared. Uh, this is not Dee Dee Warren, this is uh, somebody a little different, so we're going to get into that But before, we want to remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine So visit suspensemagazine.com And don't forget our anthology, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight Is out now with Jeffrey Deaver, uh, Ward Barkley, Reese Bowen, uh, Heather Graham, John Lesquois, amongst many others So make sure you check that out But let's get into our guest here, Lisa We want to thank you so much for coming on uh, It's winter time, and of course it's Lisa Gardner
2: i am your winter thrill i guess so thank you john (laughs)
0: yes yes you are and you brought us a a little bit of a surprise this time uh with this book before she disappeared so let's get into uh frankie elkin and what mischiefs you have going on in this one
2: thank you so yes i have been known for writing about my Boston detective, Dee Dee Warren, and then even more recently teaming with Dee Dee Warren, uh, vigilante Flora Dane, who's as kick-ass as they come. But as a novelist, I draw my inspiration from real-life cases. And a couple years ago, I had read about this woman um, on an Indian reservation who started searching for a missing woman everyone had given up on, a fellow Indian, and just kind of going down this rabbit hole of realizing how many of these cases were, that in the missing persons world, um, ethnicity makes a huge difference in the effort, time, resources that are being spent to find you, and how, very sadly, how many women, children, men go missing and never are found based pretty much on the color of their skin. So that inspired Lisa Yellowbird Chase in real life to basically give up all her worldly belongings. She has like a trailer, and she goes from place to place now. And as an you know, as an amateur, she works cold cases, and in many times to great success. This just fascinated me. I mean, one the need, which is very topical, I think we can agree with the with the past year.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Also. Having written so many police books and always had the police perspective, what's it like if you're an everyday person, and um, in real life, again, Lisa Elber-Chase will tell you, her relationship with the police is often quite adversarial. The police, like the Dee, Dee Warrens of the world, do not want amateurs showing up <laughs> with a trailer. <laughs> Mucking <laughs> up the waters. They get wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the same time, the families can often be squeamish, too. As we all know, with any kind of crime, who do you look at first? It's the people closest to the victim. So it's a very high-conflict um, calling, let's put it that way. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it just captured my attention, and I knew the book I had to write next. And that is Before She Disappeared. And we have Frankie Elkin, who's a middle-aged woman. You know, I describe her as having more regrets than belongings. And this is what she does now. She's going from town to town, looking, working cold cases of missing persons, of all those kinds of victims that fall through the cracks. And that has brought her to Boston in a neighborhood known as Mattapan and kind of nicknamed Murder Pan because of its crime rate (laughs) Uh to find a missing 15-year-old Haitian female. And we're off and running from there. Nice. Well, I'm curious why...
1: You had an opportunity here to sort of get away from Boston. Yeah. What made you decide you wanted to still keep the area around Boston as your setting?
2: COVID, <laughs> as I was going to develop this book, um, nice. it became clear that uh, traveling opportunity. It was not a good time for traveling. And right. Boston is my backyard. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> And to be fair, to get this, you know, to write the first book, I do know the neighborhoods of Boston, many of which have a very rich ethnic culture and history. I had used Mattapan a little bit every now and then, from D.D. Warren, and knowing about the Haitian immigrants, and it's been huge in the news around here, you know, their 10-year visas were up about ten two years ago that had given them temporary protected status, and it's a an immigration group that's actually incredibly well integrated in Mattapan. They are the primary healthcare workers in so many ways. You know, the local officials do not want them deported. We have an administration that wants people deported. So it's been in the headlines a lot. And that kind of drew me in and made me very aware of Mattapan, the Haitian community, and some of the really genuine struggles. I mean, they are still, to this day, in legal limbo. And how you lead a life, continue to build a life, not even knowing if you still get to be, you know, in your job, your home, your school tomorrow. I mean, it's a very poignant to me. Gotcha.
0: Now, when, when, I, when I first saw this, I was looking at sat there and I go, oh, it brought me back to the 80s. And I'm like, man, Eddie Murphy and the Golden Child. Kind of like you know that's what <laughs> that's what yeah. he did in that in that in that movie and I was like oh that was such a great movie and I actually I and I actually watched it not too long ago I was like oh what a great movie but <laughs> w- w- when you decided that Frankie was going to be the one that was going to you know lead this uh, lead this crusade you had to kind of build her up, so you needed to kind of have some kind of a background. So what kind of background were you, were you making sure that you were going to have within her to make her care, uh, to make her do this, because there has to be something that motivates her and keeps her going. So what was the, you know, when you were doing the creation, give us a little thought process behind that creation of Frankie.
2: Absolutely. I think one of the fun things about writing this book is often when I'm writing a thriller, it's because I have a plot question I'm trying to answer. You know, what happened to this family? What made them disappear? Really, interestingly enough, I mean, yes, there's a criminal case what made Angelique Fado disappear. But I really feel the central question driving before she disappeared is who is Frankie Elkin? So I got to write the place kind of building the character as I went, because that really is the question. Everywhere she goes, wait, who are you? What are you doing? You don't want money? You're going to sell a story to the media? No. You are a secret agent with the police? No. I mean, just skepticism everywhere. I mean, she is a complete loner, drifter. So it's like, what would make someone do that? I mean, one of the answers that's given up front is she's a recovering alcoholic. And to a certain extent, she'll be the first to admit this is her being a dry drunk. She has replaced one obsession, drinking, with a second obsession, which is, you know, she's compelled to work these cases. I also find her just an interesting character study in this day and age. It's like she's living an anti-life. She's given up the house, the picket fence, She's not married, doesn't do relationships, kids, the stable job. All the things that we consider earmarks of success, she's abandoned them. And actually, in doing so, has found herself. And I think it just makes her really compelling.
1: Cool. Uh, I'm curious, um, you write such compelling characters who are uh, I, I want to say flawed, but, you know, they're, they're realistic. And I'm wondering what part of you is able to convey such deep and flawed characters on the page.
2: You know, it was kind of fun, Jess, to to do a real person versus a cop. I mean, I always consider Dee Dee Warren almost like my alter ego, when I'm writing her, because she's, you know, totally hard-ass, and I actually have problems with conflict, and I do my best to avoid it, and I really like Flora Dane, because she's bloodthirsty, and she's kick-ass, and she's like, you know, if I was a Marvel, Marvel superhero, Flora Dane's who I'd like to be, but Frankie's none of those things. She's us. She's just a person, and you're right, she's vulnerable is actually the term I, I think of when I was writing her. She's just trying to figure out life, and some days are better than others. Um, she does get lonely, but she knows she's made a choice to be alone. She really wants to find this girl, but, I mean, who the hell is she to keep asking all these questions? You know, she needs a purpose, but she's living a life where, by definition, she doesn't have a place. At one point, she's like, she's in the bar. She works as a bartender because that's a great job if you're a drifter. You can always get a job as a bartender, even if you're an alcoholic. <laughs> I
0: was going to say, recovery alcoholic, she's in it.
2: But, you know, she's in this room surrounded by people. And, you know, very much, and this is something alcoholics talk about a lot, but, you know, writers as well, and sometimes our paths do cross. But, you know, <laughs> a feeling like an outsider in a room that she's surrounded by people who, have figured out the secret to life. It's like they know who they are and what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to want and what they're supposed to achieve. And, you know, to this day, that remains a complete mystery to her. So she's just gonna find another missing person. <laughs> I know, you know she figures this out. But I loved that journey. And you're right, Jeff. I like exploring other people. I like getting out of my own head and to someone else's. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so cool.
0: when you were doing research for this book and, and you were starting to find things out, did you get a little bit of maybe twinkle in your eye to sit there and say, hey, you know what, maybe I want to write a nonfiction book about something like this. Did that thought process ever maybe cross your mind at any time now?
2: I love to read nonfiction, but it's always interesting to me when you're a novelist. There are books you really like that at the same time you know you could never do. Um, I am kind of known for my research like because I like to do research. Research for me is often even inspirational. It's not because I'm that obsessive with the details on the page. I don't think I have the technical skills for nonfiction, and, oh, the vetting process they go through and everyone has to sign off on everything, I think Uh I would kind of go a little insane. (laughs) I'd rather start with a nonfiction idea, fictionalize it slightly, and get to do it my way. (laughs) Not that I have any problems. (laughs) Okay.
1: Okay. (laughs) Well... Well, one, of the, one of the regular arguments that um, John and I have, and he's going to go, here we go. Um, here we go, baby. <laughs> is the whole series versus standalone. Right. Yes. And um, so I guess my main question to you is, because of the way you write, you introduce people in a book and then you bring them into Dee D. Warren's world, is Frankie going to be, coming into D.D.'s Dee world, and uh, what? Why do I guess why do you also like writing series versus standalones?
2: Yeah, so I get what your point. I, as suspense novelists, we could sit around forever and have this, you know, taste great, less filling debate if you wanted. Um, uh, there you go, another guess, 80s throwback. Yes, there we go. I guess the quirk in my mind is I am a plot or character-driven writer, and I don't care about the rest. If I'm writing Dee Warren, it's because I had an idea, and she's right for it, and that's just how it has to be, whether commercially or marketable, it should be. <laughs> My poor publisher will tell you, really, really? <laughs> 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 um They loved the idea of a standalone book because it's been a while. And, you know, for new readers, it's easier to get into, to start with a standalone. Having said that, and the way my books have been, well, now I'm writing the second Frankie Elkin book. So clearly now we're going to have her for a little bit. And then I never plan ahead, but if the past is any guide, I would not be surprised at all to see Frankie, Flora, Dee Dee, I don't know. Pierce Quincy, FBI profile all on the same book sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're my friends. I like the voices in my head. I want to spend more time with them.
0: <laughs> and it's very possible that their paths are going to cross because of the cases and the things that they do. Exactly. Yes, yeah, so
2: Frankie's longer in Boston. She is a true drifter. We started her there. Right. The next book is in on the West Coast because Jeff is right. If you're going to do this, you've got to commit to moving around. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: Okay, so you went back to your roots in the Oregon area?
2: I haven't actually decided if I'm going to name where she is. She uh-huh. is on national public lands um, in, in western United States where there are a lot of dead bodies in the woods. Let's just put it that way. Okay. That's <laughs> a Not, lot of places to choose.
0: That's true. <laughs> yeah. We have a lot of places out here. you got forest and desert and mountains and every kind of place you want.
2: So when I was and writing, you know and bringing I mean, things
0: out to the west you have indian reservations you have a lot of different yeah. things that you can obviously go to i mean uh, yeah obviously a lot of different things heck you can even talk about the utah monoliths that are now popping up all over the place like what yeah. the hell is that about i don't even know so yeah you know when crazy I was writing, stuff uh,
2: uh when you see me where we know we are somewhere in the mountains of georgia but I'm using the location for evil, you know, I made up the town. So often, if I'm going to do pretty diabolical things, and so far this book is getting to be pretty diabolical. I end up, you, know, you know, I don't want to traumatize some poor real-world mountain resort or some real, you know, camping and lodge you know, uh, kind of thing.
1: Oh, no, Lisa's <laughs> here. She's trying to do research. Quick, kick her out. <laughs> but
2: our bookings are way down. We don't know why. <laughs> you know? I get
0: But, I guess, the, you know, when we are talking series and the standalones is that the, the one thing that you're able to do, though, is when, when you did Frankie here with Before She Disappeared, is you had that blank canvas again. You had to start with that blank canvas again, and that was something that like you said you hadn't done in a while. So, uh, I mean, of course, you know, it probably wasn't that daunting, but was it, what, was, what was the biggest challenge in, in writing the book?
2: You know, it's interesting. It was being not a police procedural so I had to try to think, you know, what would a normal person do? And I, and I also, I didn't want her to be a hacker. I didn't want it to be, I'm that IT guru and I can go on a computer and I can, because I feel sometimes that's a cheat.
0: I agree a hundred percent.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, so just, I mean, I haven't done this. All of my novels, <laughs> the, police, yeah. the police have driven the investigation. Now, the nice thing was, because I still ended up researching with the police, I mean, very early on in my career, one of my first editors were said, your crime and the lack of solving the crime should never be because the investigators were stupid. I mean, that's lazy suspense. Uh So I had to know all the logical things the police would have done to find someone, because it's the Boston police, and we know, you know, Dee Dee's with the Boston police, so she's not in the book. You know, I didn't want to suddenly have Boston police are suddenly stupid. So what was everything that would be done? Then I had to find a way to disappear a teenager where none of those techniques would help you find her. That actually blew out my brains for a little bit. And then it had to be, well, okay, if you're just a person, I mean, what would your next steps be? You don't have a crime scene. You don't have forensics you're getting clues from. She's not technical, but she knows the computer, the cell phone, all of that is a wash, Because if there was anything meaningful there, I mean, 11 months later, the police would know about it. Uh Um, I think there's some joke in the book. By now, the search warrant even would have been approved by Apple. (laughs) You know, (laughs) (laughs) know? (laughs) so that it was really fun. And some days just really intimidating of how to do an investigation. I have not walked in those shoes before. Um, One of the things I love about your books is
1: you can go deep psychologically and get really dark, but there's always that light of the hope. And some other authors, who I'm not going to name, they get so dark that I feel like I can't read anymore and I need to go shower. (laughs) So... (laughs) Uh, 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 well, how do how do you balance it so it you can go into the dark, but at the same time maintain
2: that light?
0: Have a nightlight in the dark, right? <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I'm yeah. with you, Jeff, in terms of personal taste. I, I never want to read anything that's hopeless. I mean, partly because you and I, all three of us. We're huge readers. We're a huge consumer of suspense. So we are a good proxy for our own readers, which is to say we've had really long, busy days that have already had moments of feeling hopeless. Cracking open my entertainment at the end of the night shouldn't add to that. (laughs) So (laughs) I actively think about that. I mean, Frankie can be troubled. The characters can be flawed. They can be lost. They can not know what to do, but they should always have if you're ever reading anything and it feels hopeless to me, now that's the line you cross. you shouldn't have crossed. Now it is officially too much. You've got to bring it back.
0: Mm-hmm. Cool. Interesting. So, so during this, you know, pandemic that we've been going through for the last, you know, nine months, have you done anything else uh, hobby-wise besides writing? Have, is there any, have you done anything else like, hey, you know what, I'm going to learn a language or I'm going to learn to play the piano? Anything else come
2: up? Well, anyone who follows my social media will tell you I probably am not writing any novels because I'm always on a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've got some great views. Oh, my God, the snow is so gorgeous. I'm glad I'm not in it, but I'm glad I get to see it. Yeah, I, I've been hiking a lot, like I always did, but, um, you mm-hmm. know, to the point that, you know, the knees started to go. Thank heavens we're getting the snow because it makes for a softer hiking Yeah, nice,
0: season. softer, thing, yeah. colder, but yeah. softer.
2: <laughs> yeah, because when you're middle-aged, the granite state. Um, is about as kind to your knees as it sounds. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, no joke. And a lot
2: of gardening. You know, I grew up in Oregon. I'm now in the mountains of New Hampshire. I'm an outdoors person anyway. That's where I do my best thinking. I plot out the books. Um, we've been lucky in my town, where we've always been allowed to be out outside. We've lost some other services or things, but compared to some places where you aren't even allowed outside, it's like I feel like I'm hit and run. I sit at my computer, I type furiously, and then I bolt up back outside the door as fast as I can. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so no Netflix or Amazon Prime bingeing for you then, huh?
2: Oh well, you know, I join the rest of the population. I'm telling you, Queen's Gambit is one of the best things I've ever viewed. Okay,
0: I'm three episodes in. We're watching one a night. It's really good.
2: Yeah, and I'm um, the man. I
1: loved that book. Loved that book. The and, uh, Tev- Walter Tevis was a great writer.
2: And, uh, and then oh, oh, the the heartbreak for me was <laughs> the pandemic, and I get there are totally much bigger heartbreaks. There were so many big, huge movies that we're counting down to see. Yeah. Um, You know, so Wonder Woman 1984, the Scarlett Johansson Black Widow. My Halloween. Yeah, I mean, we're super geeks. We're into this stuff. We're like, give us our movies. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. But, you know, it's kind of fascinating
0: now that all these things are going straight to the apps.
2: It'll be a different entertainment industry, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah. It almost feels like these movies are now turning themselves into Kindle books. They're no longer hard copies. They're just streams.
2: <laughs> and, and there's a lot of signs among the org- the studios and stuff that they recognize that this will. Oh yeah. I mean, where our movie theaters even survive this poor thing? It's, it's, no, they it's will rough. not. Yeah.
1: I, I'm trying to use this as, a, as an excuse to get a bigger television now. Like, well, we can't <laughs> see them on the big screen. <laughs> yeah. We need to get a big screen. <laughs>
2: You know what's fascinating to me is you'd think with people home more they'd read more. But it turns out people read more when they're traveling, which unfortunately they're not being able to do. They do binge watch Netflix more. <laughs> oh,
0: that's true. They have become more zombies in front of the T V instead of jumping into other worlds. Like that. I've been doing jigsaw puzzles.
2: Read.
1: I, I haven't been doing jigsaw puzzles in years and now I find myself doing that on a regular basis.
2: Kind of I did. I actually in fact, my friends and I, we start swapping around jigsaw puzzles. Yes, I went through a huge jigsaw puzzle phase. In fact, you're right. I should break a new one out now that the weather's changed again. So you guys are talking about
0: jigsaw puzzles. I'll tell you how I am about jigsaw. I've done 18 of them, and I've mounted them and glued them and framed them, and they're in my daughter's house and my granddaughter's room. So they mm-hmm. hang them up, and I frame them for them, and then I put them up, and, I got like, and, they, and they just asked me for four more. But I do those Thomas Kincaid Disney ones, I love oh, those. Are nice. They're gorgeous.
2: Does mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, not everything I've done I think is frame worthy, but what you're doing sounds great. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it's not that hard. You know, you get the puzzle glue, you glue it all up, and then you just and then you put it onto the poster board and or onto the onto the foam, and then just put it in the frame, and it looks really good. It comes out really well, Indeed. and it comes out very shiny.
2: And while yeah. you're doing it listen to a great audio thriller right <laughs>
0: i do have my audible yeah, especially by lisa gardner there you go yes <laughs> yeah i mean now do i, I haven't looked to see your narrator do your narrators change or do you or is this one gonna or is this narrator for
2: frankie going to be
0: like the same one that's for dd Dee Dee, or is it going to change no.
2: yeah we had a great conversation it will be a new narrator for this novel and It's a first-person book, which, for the record, this is the first book I've ever written that's been entirely in first-person. So that was kind of interesting as well.
0: So that was a little challenging.
2: You know, there's a lot of soul-searching going on in publishing now, how to be more authentic, how to be more inclusive. And so one of the things the audio company was really struggling with is, you know, Frankie is in a predominantly black Haitian community. There is a lot of Haitian Creole being spoken. There is a lot of characters with accents. I mean, do they try to bring in voices to be authentic to that, or will that just sound like imitation? And it was fascinating to have those conversations with them and the things you don't think about when, you know, from my perspective as an author, it just all springs from my mind. Um, but, you know, for them to translate it to an audible form, you know, how ha- how to make these judgment calls. Um, I, I have a question about your book covers, and it's not
1: okay. the uh, what's the deal with the hand in the one cover. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I'm talking
2: about. I do. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the The covers are very pretty, especially the new book, Before She Disappeared, but I'm curious why the different covers with the UK, they're just completely different, and I'm just wondering... It, it, What's the deal with your covers? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he took 30 seconds just to get that question out. So,
2: <laughs> I know. Sorry. And it, <laughs> no, it just, you know. Well, and it's interesting you say this, Jeff, because if people want to go to the lisagardner.com and, you know, register to kill off your friends and loved ones while you're there, uh, this book covers for before, you, before she disappeared in the U.S. and the U.K., look very similar. In fact, it's the first time they have looked alike in my career because you're right. Historically, they're very different looks. And they will say it's because they're just very different markets. The Brits like something a little more graphic most of the time. Um, The U.S., we are always trying to be aware of not just the thriller market, but kind of trying to appeal to overall fiction readers as well. It's like you want to communicate thriller, but not be too hardcore about it. Like, you know, no dripping nice blades on the cover kind of thing. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And, and I have loved, loved, loved my covers. I think um, the, you know, the, the graphic arts department at Dutton um, has been brilliant and, Unfortunately, with the economics, there's not going to be as much of this anymore. But some of the special effects they did. So they did one um, uh, right behind you, where it does look three-dimensional. You know, it looks like a shattered a, a gun shot through a shattered window, and you do, you do just want to put your finger right through it. I just thought that was just. I had fun with that all day long. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you mentioned your website, of course, lisagardner.com. That is the best place for everyone to find out everything about all of your information, correct?
2: Yes, and we're getting up the virtual tour information. We'll be launching there probably in the next week. Um, Everything's different in covid but there are there are opportunities to get signed books there will be some at barnes and noble and we're arranging with some independents to do sign they have signed books there that if you want to keep your signed book collection going you can phone in and they'll happily ship those books out to you that kind of thing so right. uh, readers who are interested look there and of course the killer friend Mame a Buddy sweepstakes where you can nominate the person of your choice I do have to tell people it's become incredibly competitive now. Uh, the current winner, and before she disappeared, like 35 members of her family all nominated her to die. Because <laughs> <They were committed. laughs> you can only be wow. yourself once. But you can have other people do it. So, more and more and more, we're seeing that where someone is getting, I don't know, coworkers, family members, friends, and you'll see many of the names have been entered now, like dozens of times. It's like they're just, I am determined to die in this damn novel. And, you know, who am I to stand in their way? So. Check well, it out. I'm worried
1: about
2: In today's day and age,
0: I don't question anything anymore. I just look at it.
2: <laughs> I always joke it's the person who has everything. <laughs> <You> exactly.
0: <know. laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, Lisa, of course, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. Um, before she disappeared, we'll be out January 19th in every format people want to buy it in. And, of course, thank you so much for talking about the signed issues so people can get a hold of those. Um, so it's always great talking with you, of course. We wish you stay safe and stay healthy and keep putting out those great, flipping photos because they are wonderful. I love, watch, I love seeing that. Especially when you live in LA and you can't really see snow. I mean, I'm I'm glad I'm not in it, but I'm glad I get to see it. That's what I like.
2: Uh, Soon we'll have the full moon hikes in the snow. Those are my favorite. Everything glows.
0: Between you and Tasha Alexander, because she's in Wyoming and she puts out her, you know, wildlife stuff. You guys should have like the wildlife Instagram and just say, okay, (laughs) Tasha, here's where I am today, and she's like, oh yeah, well this is the moose I saw today, and you guys
2: can just (laughs) rifle it. Sounds great. Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, so okay lisa well hey we want to thank you so much again and uh wish you nothing but the best again everybody before she disappeared out january 19th 2021 uh so get it in every format you wanted and we want to thank you so much for coming on again of course lisagardner.com it's where you find it all out thank you thank you so much lisa you have a great day thanks and we'll much. talk soon
2: thanks bye
0: bye-bye bye-bye